Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Very exciting Baseball America podcast here today as we wrap up the winter meetings with the Rule 5 draft today. We're going to talk about the Rule 5 draft. We're also going to talk about probably the biggest trade of the winter meetings, which actually occurred as everyone's heading out of town, we have the Twins dealing Ben Revere to the Phillies for, uh, for Vance Worley and Trevor May. We're going to discuss that, analyze that, kind of analyze what that means for, for both clubs going forward uh, at the end of the podcast. But we're going to start. We have John Manuel here with us from Nashville from the winter meetings. He was in the front row, I believe, uh, you know, of the, of the audience for the Rule 5 draft. We have Matt Eddy, the guru of the Rule 5 draft, especially no one. I, I do believe this. I, I feel confident saying that no one cares more about the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft in the world than Matt Eddy. I, I have talked to a couple of pro scouting directors who like the minor league phase of the Rule 5, but, uh, but I, 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 will, I will admit that on the not-in-baseball side, Matt Eddy is number one. I think there's not – it's not even a uh, – uh, There's no discussion. If I had an extra twelve grand, I would probably just make a pick myself. <laughs> Again, I wish we'll start out had an out. The great thing about the minor league phase is, is you pick them in the minor league phase, they're yours. <laughs> it's nothing else. You don't have to keep them on your AAA roster all season or offer a back. You pick them in the minor league phase, and that guy is a uh, is a, a new member of your organization, and you get to keep them no matter where you send them. Yep. I think a long time ago, JJ, we would have said uh, that once you buy a prize, it's yours to keep. Yeah. I know they don't do that. I know they don't do that anymore on uh, on Wheel of Fortune, and probably haven't for like. 20 years but uh so yeah so what and matt i'm, I'm gonna start i guess i'm starting us off in the minor league rule phase minor league phase but can you how much did it hurt that there was no selection made in the double a phase of the rule five draft uh well that is a bit surprising given that those players cost four grand i mean you're picking from a more limited pool um but it's not a whole lot to venture on, just some organizational depth. It is also fair to say, if you are available in the double-A phase of the Rule 5 draft, your career's not exactly on a rocket climb, because what you're saying is is that your club decided not to protect you for the major league portion. But then mm-hmm. there's also the triple-A roster you can be put on. They decided not to protect you on the triple-A roster. And remember, this is to be protected, you have to have meet the same Rule 5 eligibility rules as you do for the Major League portion. And do you have to be on the, if you're not on a double-A roster, or is it if you're on a double-A roster, you can be selected? I believe it's the top 80 guys are shielded from the double-A phase. Okay. Approximately 80, depending on your 40-man size. I believe the triple-A limit's 37 to 38. John, do you know that? 
I, I forget what the AAA limit is, but I'm just I, I actually <laughs> Matt, you, you will appreciate this, but I actually did a little minor league Rule Five prep. Nice. <laughs> you handled the les. And I just searched. Well, that, that's the thing. There have been some big leaguers who, yep. in recent years, who have who have gone in this draft. And like your buddy, uh, your friend of mine, Eddie Coons, was yeah. on the one was on was on the the Potomac Nationals roster Oof. for the Nationals, so he could have been had. This is the guy was a you know supplemental first round pick or first round pick, whatever. Uh-huh. There are a few. There were a few recognizable names, not a lot, but there were a few recognizable names that I thought were going to go in that in in that double A phase, and so I was a little bit surprised that there was no double A phase. But I I, I joked to two scouts in the room today. Has the best double A phase of all time, and they both like I, they didn't even let me get to the joke. They both said, "You aren't kidding." I mean, they were just... <laughs> it is a bit surprising that you know, as front office personnel switch to different organizations, sometimes they like to bring their guys in. You know, some, somewhat surprising, surprising that Lou now, for example, didn't bring in some ex Cardinals, you know, over to the Astros but, in that phase. And we did see a couple of examples of that. I can't believe that we actually are starting. We will knock out the minor league phase and then move on to the major league phase. But we did see a little bit of that. In this year's uh, uh, Rule Five, you saw um, like Eric the Red Sox, John Bakanoff. I mean, that that was a a former Angels pick that was scouted Great. by Tom Kochman. Tom Kochman now scouts for the Red Sox. Yep. And so does Eddie Bain, who was the scouting director who made that call as well. But that's uh, that's a that's a Koch Eddie special with the Red Sox, and then Eric Ferris originally yep. drafted when Jack Zarensic was the scouting director of the Brewers. Um, JJ, uh, did the Royals take any uh, ex Braves? The Royals or, or had no. The Royals had no room. They're, uh, they passed all the way through everything because I think they were up against the limit on all their rosters. I also like that the Red Sox selected um, Jack McGeary. Yep, great Scottish name. If it's not Scott, anyway, they, they took Jack McGeary, who's a, a Bostoner, uh, a New Englander, and uh, brought in the minor league phase. And, you know, and the Astros with Michael Burgess. I mean, Michael Burgess, Mark Sobolewski, Tyler Kerr, Jack McGeary, the top of the AAA phase. Those guys were once guys. They've all been in the prospect handbook. What was frightening to me is that uh, Tyler Kerr, a, a supplemental pick, didn't even make the Angels top 30. That's, yeah, That's not Angels, a great top 30. And if you didn't make that top 30, you're not a whole lot of a prospect right now. Yikes. The Angels top The Angels top 30 hurts by the fact that in 2009 and 2010 – uh, when they did have a lot of extra picks, uh, we talked about it last week, Matt. They, they yeah. missed they missed on so many picks, and uh, Tyler Kerr is one of the guys they missed on. So, um, but yep. you know, there, there are a lot of there, there were interesting names. I did, I tweeted, I think that the best pick of the minor league Rule Five draft was Scott Schumann. Oh, oh, you took it from Matt because Matt's been raving about that ever that's my since cheese he was ball. <laughs> Oh, you go first. No, you go first. Well, this is a guy who, uh, even in a relief role, has not found the strike zone very frequently, but. The arm strength and the uh, at 93-95 and uh, often a wipeout slider is, is a very good combination to get for for 12 12 grand plus pair him with the Giants pitching development program and you could be looking at like Sergio Romo light you know an absolute best case scenario here. I, I think looking I think you're looking at uh, more than I mean I don't he's not going to perform like Sergio Romo he's a different kind of pitcher but I, I I love this pick. Because you know I love the ninja. You know how how highly I hold Dick Tidrow in uh, in such high esteem. Yep. I don't have anybody in the game who who knows pitching better than Dick Tidrow. So Scott Schumann is a twelve thousand dollar, not even a gamble. You just roll the dice and you just it, it, the upside there is significant. If this is the guy who made Jonathan Sanchez a big leaguer mm-hmm. and 
you know, helped make him that in Tidro and Burt Bradley and all his pitching lieutenants, the pitching coaches in that system. If anybody can unlock the mystery of Scott Schumann and they really couldn't do it in Auburn, they really couldn't do it in the Rays system, which, of course, the Rays track record is pretty unparalleled. It's right up there with Tidro, Dick Bosman, and those guys do a great job. But if anybody can unlock it, it's going to be the Ninja. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I, I love that pick. I, I'm, I'm glad that you like it as well because – uh, that puts the Baseball America imprimatur on it. <laughs> we we heartily endorse the Scott Schumann pick. I also will throw out Hector Nilo, who the Dodgers took in the second round of the AAA phase, which did go to three rounds today, which is awesome also. But uh, not I, I, I would put Schumann above him like, like y'all do, but I do think he's an intriguing guy because, again, you're talking about someone who has some legit tools. And, again, the key thing being – you just put them in your system, and you just keep developing them like you do any of your guys. I mean, it's not something where his development's going to be interrupted because he's got to be in the big leagues and he's not going to pitch much or anything like that. You just put them in your minor league system and see, hey, can we turn turn them into something? All these guys have to be in the double-A phase. Is this triple-A phase or the double-A phase? There's good organizational players. Yep. You know, that's really all they have to be. So Marquez Smith, whom the Rangers selected from the from the Reds, Perfect example. Mm-hmm. Great organizational player. Yep. I kind of the Orioles pick as well. Tom Baleska. Yep. Uh, it was Canadian. Went to High Point, which had a nice uh, pro season. Uh, High Point alum. I'm going to give a little shout out to Craig Cozart's program. Nate Roberts, who won the slash triple crown in the Fall League. Cody Allen, big leaguer with the Indians. So a good year for High Point. Tom Baleska's played for Great Britain internationally. He played for Canada in September in the WBC in Germany. He's on the list. He could pitch for Canada in the uh, WBC in March. And I just met him in person last week. He's in Durham this off season, working at an indoor hitting facility and uh, you know, working out, staying sharp. So um rooting for Tom Baleska to make it. And, I, and that's a nice pick uh, for the Orioles because Tom Baleska has been up to 96. He's, I, I've heard him you know, 92, 94 this year. So, uh, you know, you could do worse in the AAA phase than Tom Baleska. So, so. And, J.J., did you want to comment on the, the plethora of Royals? Right. The one thing I did think that jumped out here was is that the Nationals and the Royals seemed like they were the two teams who were pillaged the most in the AAA phase. And what that means is, I think generally, is, is it, you're looking at systems who have good, deep depth. And that doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot for you uh, long term because we're talking – it means you have good – you have more good – org players and more good fringy guys than you can protect, which, again, isn't it's not what a team's aspired, like you say. You'd rather have more top impact guys, but it does stand out. Nationals and Royals both lost a number of guys. Royals lost. The Royals had a, way more hard-throwing lefties who are okay but not great in double-A. They had a lot of those guys, and they lost. You know, They knew they were going to lose probably one or two of them. I think they may have thought they might lose John Keck in the uh, the major league phase. They didn't, but then they did lose Ryan Denick. They lost uh, Bren- Brendan Lafferty. Both of those are uh, a pair of lefties who who throw, you know, have at least average, if not plus, fastballs from the left side. But in in Lafferty's case, he he doesn't throw enough strikes with it yet. In Denick's case, he's kind of his stuff has picked up a little bit as a pro, but. He's he's a little fringier, um, might be a swingman guy, but you know, but you did see. I think the Royals lost five uh, players in the the minor league phase. Four pitchers, the, yeah. The Nationals, uh, I think, lost uh, three uh, players in the uh, minor league phase. So, um, 
so you know so those that did jump out to me i think we have adequately more than adequately covered the minor league phase and i do believe i can confidently say if you're listening to this podcast that is analysis that you're not going to find anywhere else uh, no one probably geeks about the uh, minor league phase of the rule five drive like we do here at baseball america but uh but thank you for listening and now we'll jump into the the major league phase which I I think it's fair to say that none of us were that surprised with the guy who went number one because I think we said on this podcast in our preview that we'd have been shocked if Josh Fields didn't get taken in the Rule 5 draft. But, John, what did you think about Field going, Fields going to the Astros? Well, I mean, my first reaction was, is he their oldest player? You know, <laughs> I, wondered, I wondered if he instantly became the oldest player on their roster. Um, but yeah, when you just traded Wilton Lopez, who's a, who's better than Josh Fields, don't get me wrong, Wilton Lopez has, has done it for a couple of years at the big league level, but they just traded Wilton Lopez, I feel like Josh Fields can approximate that in a, in a cheaper manner, and who knows if Alex White can turn back into what we all thought Alex White uh, could be coming out of the University of North Carolina. So I like the Fields pick. Uh, the one caveat with Josh Fields is all these relief pitchers who we've seen it so many times, and both of you guys I'm sure have other pitchers you can think of who've done this, relief pitchers who are wild and don't have control, and then it, they find it, and they have a big a burst like Fields had in AAA, 19-2 strikeout-to-walk ratio in 14 innings, helping uh, Paul Tuckett win the International League Championship, the Governor's Cup. And then he goes to winter ball in the Dominican, and he lost it again. I think he had eight walks in six innings in the Dominican League. So... It, it, you know, it, it can come and go with relief pitchers who have as much effort in their delivery as Josh Fields. And people, yeah. I, I do need to remember, he's little. He's not a big guy. He's not overly physical. Little guy, quick arm, athletic, but a lot of moving parts in that delivery, a lot of effort. So if he keeps it together, I think there's real upside there. I think this is a guy with two-plus pitches when it's going right. And I do think he can close the big league level. Um, but, uh, you know, the chances of him – Keeping it all together, I'd say you're probably 40%. But, you know, uh, their pro scouting coordinator, Kevin Goldstein, I quoted him in the story, said that, you know, they had their analytics side and their scouting side were both supposed to come in with lists uh, in their meeting, and both sides had Josh Fields at number one on their list. So that made their that, that started their meeting off right. He was number one on their list, and it was an, an easy call for Houston at number one. And, and I do think with Fields, like you said, if it all breaks right, he could close, and if you were picking a club, if if you're Josh Fields and you're picking a club to to land with, the Astros are a pretty good one because right now they don't have anyone that you point to and say, hey, that's their closer for 2013. Now that Lopez is gone, so I mean, it's unlikely that you would see a guy go from the Rule Five pick to closing the next year. But he, if if he can throw strikes, which is the big, really the big question. But if he does, if he can keep that together, he's as Probably about as good as anyone in that that Astros big league bullpen potentially. But yeah, well, I, I would agree. Um, so, so, so we like we like that pick, and then you know Ben Badler got to give Ben credit. Ben had an earlier flight, so he's already he's already bounced here from the from the Opryland. Um, but he did hear some late buzz last night, but just miscommunication between the two of us. I didn't get uh, didn't get these names, but he heard the buzz on Hector Rondon and Alfredo Silverio. And both those guys got picked. Hector Rondon going second to the Cubs. And, you know, sounds like the Cubs really had good information on him. Uh, Franklin Font, who's a former infielder in their system and a former minor league rover uh, infield instructor, spent 2012 as like a major league, like a 
advanced scout, but like with the with their big league staff. He wasn't a coach on the staff. He was with their big league staff. He's coaching in Venezuela this off season, and he's on the uh, Leones in Caracas, uh, where Hector Rondon is pitching. So they had inside dope. They had video. Uh, they've seen the ninety three to ninety five. It's all been in one inning spurts. But Hector Rondon, you know, he's had two elbow procedures. One Tommy John. Doesn't sound like he's going to be a starter ever again, but you guys probably remember in 2008 this guy was a futures gamer, and in 2009, back when the when the Indians really had good minor league depth, uh, he was one of their best prospects and, and finished that year in AAA. Uh, if this guy's healthy, I think that's a pretty intriguing pick. Uh, I agree with you there, and I, I do think. Um, so you mentioned Silverio. I love the Silverio pick from the idea that there are very few position players get taken in the uh, in the Rule Five draft that you say, okay, long-term, this guy could be uh, a regular. Silverio is healthy. I mean, he had an awful car crash last year that, that, you know, concussion, had elbow problems because of that, missed pretty, you know, missed the whole season because of that. But before that, he was one of the better prospects in the Dodgers system. If he's fully back from that injury, from that, from the car wreck, especially on a team like the Marlins, where, there's not a whole lot standing in your way. He's a guy who I could easily see sticking this year, especially because, again, with, with him coming off the injury, you might be able to work in some injury rehab assignments and all there to, to kind of get him to uh, – to, he doesn't have to stay on the big league roster as long as, as maybe some others do because of that. But long term, I do think he has the tools to be you know, at least a, a backup outfitter, but maybe even a little bit more than that. Yeah, I think he has a chance to be a regular there. I mean, he's got right-handed power. I mean, Matt, I, I, I haven't seen too many years, you can tell me, but where a guy has, you know, the kind of dynamic, you know, 75-plus extra base hits like he had in double-A in 2011. I mean, we're 18 of them are triples. I mean, 42 doubles, 18 triples, 16 home runs. And he's a power-speed guy. I don't know if he's going to – that stolen bases are going to be part of his game necessarily at the big league level if he's if he's ever fully healthy. So, that, as J.J. said, there's that pretty significant caveat – but if you go off his performance in the past, I know he was 24, but a, a late-blooming, late-developing physical uh, power-speed outfielder, you know, sign me up in the Rule 5. Yeah, the types of guys who typically go are, you know, Brian Barton. Um, last year we had Eric Komatsu. You know, these these kind of backup types who can play all three positions and maybe steal the base or maybe they bat lefty. Uh, it sounds like Silverio has um, starting caliber tools, though. Yeah, and I, I do think yeah, there's some other guys who, you know, I, I guess we'll throw it open. So, Matt, I'll ask you, who else from the uh, from the Major League phase really stood out to you? Uh, I'm a big Chris McGinnis guy, uh, especially for the Indians, you know, team that's probably in a rebuild mode, you know, being realistic, they're probably a second division team this year. Uh, progressive field plays very well for lefty power, um, so that's why I like the Lars Anderson pickup as well, but they still have an option on him. So Lars Anderson in Columbus, Chris McGinnis in Cleveland. I like that. He's good around the bag. Um don't expect him to win batting titles, but you know he might. He might, he might base, yeah, he might run into 20 home runs and you know have above average on base. It's a good pick. John, anyone else who, who stood out to you besides the guys we've already covered? Yeah, I like P.J. McFarland that the uh, Orioles took. I mean, you know, when the Orioles really showed their staying power late in the year, a big part of that was their infield defense, or as Dan Duquette told me today, he called it their interior defense. <laughs> And obviously that's typified by J.J. Hardy winning the gold glove at short and, and Manny Machado at third base being a, a, the wunderkind that he is. So to me, McFarland's a left-handed sinker baller. 
uh, who plays right into the strength of their team. Uh, you know, you should get right-handed hitters to roll over on some of those two-seamers to Machado and Hardy. So uh, I think the Orioles are still a little, un- a little unsettled in what they're doing at second base. But if they approximate Robert Andino gave them defensively last year there, uh, I, I, you know, I think they're going to have a stout infield defense, and McFarland's a ground ball guy uh, with AAA experience, and at 23 he still has some upside. So this guy could approximate what Joe Saunders gave them yeah. last year. So I pick a lot for Baltimore. That's immediately who comes to mind, like a, like a, a baby Zach Britton or something. Yeah, not as hard throwing as Zach Britton, but right. yeah, uh, but a similar profile. And yeah, he didn't strike out a lot of guys. And you know, I taught the Mike Sarbaugh, uh, the Indians. I taught a lot of the internationally managers, obviously. But Mike had him, uh, had McFarland the second half of this year, mm-hmm. and he almost talked about a sinker ball or almost kind of being like a knuckleballer. They just have to commit to that sinker. You mm-hmm. have to just you have to admit to yourself that you're not there to get swings and misses. You're there to get mm-hmm. early contact. So you got to read swings. You got to read hitters' tendencies. You have to read your scouting reports and know when to go in, when to go out, and and not to overthrow that two seamer, but just to let it do uh, what you can naturally let it do. And once he thought that once McFarlane did that, that he would be a successful sinker ball pitcher. So the ceiling is low. It's a fourth or fifth starter profile, but I think he can do that in 2013 if it all comes together. So I I like that pick. I think he's actually the safest pick of the entire uh, first round. I think he's even a safer pick than Fields, and he's right there with McGinnis, who obviously was Arizona Fall League MVP and right. has some offensive polish. But those two picks, to me, were the safest picks. How about the Tigers kind of uh, I think re- recalling, too, recalling the 2003 Tigers who carried three Rule 5 pitchers and also lost, what, 119 games? But this is a little different situation. Uh, what did you think of the Tigers? Uh, they're going to go to camp, at least, with Jeff Coburnus. And Kyle Lobstein. Two guys who neither of them, with their pick, they were picking 20, and they knew that those guys may not make it to them, so they worked a couple of deals to pick up a pick from the Red Sox and from the Mets. Um, I, I like the Cabernet pick. I, I think that he could be a, a potentially a useful backup infielder in, in 2013, the big league level. He's, he's a guy, when you carry him, you're not having to carry a guy who's just a black hole that you're really playing with 24 men. He's almost like a Quentin Berry of second baseman, lefty hitter who can steal a bag. He can steal bases. He, you know, he he can play solid def- defense. Got a pretty heady approach. The bat's a little light. You know, he didn't have really a great double A season last year. No power. No power. But he does have you know some things that you say, okay, I can see how how you could use him. Uh, Lobstein, the who uh, they also picked up, I'm a little less uh, enthralled with that one. I, I I think he's gonna have a tough time sticking. You know, he's a guy who really we we've talked about him in the office a couple of times. He's he's a guy who when you draft a, a high school guy, a lot of times you're kind of doing a little projection on it of okay, you know, if this guy adds a little velocity as he goes forward, he really could be something because he knows how to pitch. In Lobsteed's case, he's just never added that velocity. In fact, the velocity may have backed up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So he's really kind of got to get by with really a minus fastball at, at times. As a starter. As a starter. As a reliever, which probably is a more role he would fill as a Rule 5 pick, I still don't think there's really a, a, a plus pitch there. And, yeah, you know, maybe you can use him in some matchup situations and all, but uh, I would love to hear if one of you disagrees with that. But I, I do think he's going to have a little bit tougher time sticking. Well, two things for me. First, I, I love the Quentin Berry comp on Jeff Coburnus because, like Quentin Berry, the problem to me with Jeff Coburnus is he doesn't walk. Right. His speed guy doesn't walk. Uh, he's, but he is a slasher. He is athletic. 
I'd forgotten. I talked to him today. I'd forgotten that he played outfield and third base at Cal. But as a pro, he's only mm-hmm. played base with four games at shortstop in Potomac. So, you know, Dave Dombrowski uh, did t- – I talked to Dave about, you know, the pick, and I didn't realize they traded – I wish I'd stuck around a little longer. I knew they traded uh, for Coburnus. And he talked about needing to get faster. And, Matt, when we looked at the postseason, you know, I thought Austin Jackson, Quentin Barry was the only guy who stole any bases for the Tigers. They were looking to address speed on their bench, and I think they did that with Coburnus. As far as a speed guy goes, he was about as good as there was to have in this Rule 5 draft when you combine everything else. But to me, he's going to have to have some position versatility. I thought the the timing was interesting in the Phillies selection of a uh, Class A outfielder, Ender Inciarte, and then moments, you know, just as the dust was was clearing on the Rule 5, they announced they had just acquired Ben Revere in trade. Which, yeah, Ender Inciarte basically should be Spanish for Ben Revere. I know. <laughs> so, so they were kind of making a $25,000 hedge bet there because, you know, if they, if they return him, they get half the money back. Uh, but then they got Ben Revere, who might make the whole thing obsolete anyway. Well, the thing about it is in Chiarte, and we talked in the office here, I don't understand those picks uh, very much. The Inciarte is a guy who is going to be a pinch runner defensive replacement. That's the role he'll fill. And long term, that's probably the role he projects to be. Well, why I don't understand those as much when you take a guy who you say, okay, he could be an inexpensive defensive replacement pinch runner who's not going to develop into anything more. I, I, those are the picks that sometimes it's like, okay, is that worth carrying a guy? Can't you find a more big league ready version of that who can do a little bit more for you than than a guy like that? But that that does lead us into talking about the the Ben Revere. Ben Revere traded from the Twins to the Phillies for Vance one Worley. Thing, one thing, real quick, JJ. Let's let's face it. Ruben Amaro has not shown an ability to build a bench. Hmm. Period. I mean, he just hasn't. He's had a few years as general manager. You can rip uh, GMs for the contracts they sign. It's not our money. I, I'm not going to rip him for those things. But he had an old team this year. It's pretty obvious in black and white. They were an older club coming into 2012, and they had Ryan Howard on that catastrophic injury at the end of 2011. They had Chase Utley becoming more injury prone. They had Placido Polanco becoming more injury prone. It was obvious to everybody that they were getting older. And the guys that he chose to get out and sign last year where they traded Wilson Valdez. I know he was terrible in Cincinnati, but he'd been good for them. Mm-hmm. Pete Orr, Ty Wigginton, Lance Nix. That he did not. He, he's had several years to show what he could do as a general manager. And I think the evidence is in that he did not have a good feel for how to build that bench for that team last year. Yeah. Their, best reserve, their best reserve was a player they lucked into in Eric Kratz. And <laughs> And I love Eric. We love Eric Kratz. We, we're all in the Eric Kratz fan club. <laughs> but I think this is another sign. And before that, they will five Mike Martinez. Yeah. Kind of player. So to me, I think it's got another evidence, another piece of evidence that I don't think they, they're uh, that they're great under Ruben Amaro at building a bench in uh, in Philadelphia. And last but not least, Kyle Lobstein. Uh, I think the selection of Kyle Lobstein augurs well for Adam Wilk, who is a more polished similar version of Kyle Lobstein already in Detroit. They already traded Andy Oliver, clears out well, more competition. Mm-hmm. For Adam. One thing that Lobstein really has going for him over Wilk, I think Wilk has a good changeup. I think Lobstein has a great changeup. But the one thing I'll give Kyle Lobstein, if you're looking for a carrying tool, uh, his changeup could be that carrying tool where it might make everything else play up. I'm with you, JJ, and I, I'm skeptical, but I do – I wanted to throw that in. I think it augurs well for Wilk, who's I like Adam Wilk, 
Um, I like the track record of Long Beach State pitchers, and Adam Will could be a Jason Marcus type, I think, in the big leagues. But, you know, I'm surprised that the Tigers went after a guy who's not a power arm in any way or form. But, so now I ask you, because you do our Twins uh, list, what have you – the Twins have obviously been quite busy at, at bulking up their uh, their pitching at the major league and the minor league level on, by trade. They added Alex Meyer you know, recently, and now you add uh, Vance Worley, Trevor May. I feel like going around the little uh, the, the triangle here that the three of us all really like this trade from the standpoint of uh, for the Twins. John, what it, it, does this – what does this do for the Twins to, to make this trade? I think again, um, yeah, I think it's smart because the strength of their outfield, uh, the strength of their minor league system is their outfielders. Whether it's uh, Aaron Hicks and Osvaldo Arcia at Double A, uh, they still have hope for Joe Benson, who was injury prone and is 25, but does have big tools when he's healthy. Uh, I shouldn't count out Nate Roberts, even though he hasn't played above Low A. He had a great fall league. <laughs> he can hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Renee Tassoni is wishing he were still a twin at this time. <laughs> um, but then, of course, Byron Buxton, second overall pick in last year's draft. I don't know. I mean, he's not going to be a factor in 2013, but our man love for Byron Buxton has been at Baseball America all year. That guy is a stud. So they dealt from a position of strength in the big leagues. I was surprised they traded both guys. But, uh, you know, Trevor May – has been a number one prospect, and I think we all know what kind of arm strength the guy has, and his strikeout track record is outstanding. I think Connor tweeted the other day, um, it's like Connor knew this trade was – I thought he tweeted that Trevor May leads the minor leagues in strikeouts if you group it over the last two years or over the last three years. Um, this guy can't get sweetnesses. He has two breaking balls. Uh, he throws with power. He's inconsistent. He doesn't maintain his delivery. You know, it all – Seems like it's adding up to relief pitcher, um, but this is the kind of arm that the, the Twins, frankly, didn't have. And in the span of a couple of weeks, they picked up two arms like that in Meyer and uh, in the span trade, and then Trevor May here. And Vance Worley, if he's healthy, I know there were some elbow issues, but if Vance Worley's healthy, he's their number one starter. <laughs> and that's just amazing to see a major league team trade two starting caliber center fielders in the span of a week. No, yeah, no it, pun intended. But and that and this is, I guess, where I, I think we like this trade for the Twins more than the Phillies. I just don't think that Ben Revere gives you a whole lot. I think, like, if you look at it from the Twins' standpoint, you get Vance Worley, who fills a gaping, gaping hole in your. I mean, that we we were just tweeting about it on you know on on Twitter. That if you look at the Twins, the Twins do not have a starting rotation right now at the big league level. There, you, you can't even really plausibly map it out right now. They have to bring in some guys. Vance Worley's not uh, an ace by any stretch of imagination, but when you're joining a, a staff that right now is Scott Diamond, Cole DeVries, and Liam Hendricks, and that's pretty much it, you don't need to be an ace to be an ace on that staff. Uh, you, if you're a solid middle-of-the-rotation starter or a little less than that, you move to the front of the line. And the reality of it is, is that you know, it would be interesting to see who ends up playing center field for the Twins. John and I were talking about this before we started the podcast. I, I don't think if you said, hey, we need you know Aaron Hicks to move up from AA to the big leagues, I think he can give you at least as much production next year as Ben Revere did. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm, I'm with you on Aaron Hicks. I, I think there's some rough edges to polish up there. I think that he, there's some tweenerness there for some people. Maybe he's got a leadoff profile but doesn't run enough. But to me, if the Twins just stick him in center field, if it, to, uh, obviously Aaron Hicks has to do it. 
He's he's in winter ball, I believe, in Venezuela this off season. I, to my recollection, I haven't checked on him recently, but he he did not get off to a great start there. Um, he's moved fairly slowly, uh, like all twins <laughs> prospects. So I guess he played 18 games or 16 games in Venezuela. Uh, but to me, Aaron Hicks is going to draw some walks, hit for a solid average, steal you some bases, and play a good defensive center field. Uh, that will approximate Denard's span. I think his upside is Denard's span upside with a little stolen bases, a little bit more pop. Um, I like Aaron Hicks better long-term than either Denard Span or Ben Revere. And we're talking long-term with the Twins. Uh, they're not going to contend in 2013. Uh, Vance Worley, Scott Diamond, Cole DeVries, and Liam Hendricks are not leading them to the promised land, that rotation. But in 2014, 2015, those years when they still have Joe Maurer and they have this plethora of young hitters coming up, Arcia, Hicks, uh, they'll bring Kyle Gibson to that rotation, probably Alex Meyer as well, um, Miguel Sano, Eddie Rosario, some of these other young hitters, I'm much more excited for the Twins' future now than I was three weeks ago. Absolutely. I don't think there's any real doubt about that. So what do you think – there's two other interesting parts of this. So, A, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what this means for the Phillies, and B, which I think is, is almost as fascinating, is, is what does this mean for Michael Bourne? Where does Michael Bourne end up? That's a great question. Uh, that that would be better answered uh, from the media room than from uh, room 20 here at the old Opry Hotel or whatever, Opryland Hotel, because um, I haven't had a chance to ask any of the writers. But, yeah, I mean, it seems that the Phillies, um, again, are kind of, I don't know if you want to say prisoners, but, I mean, they're bound by these other mega contracts that they have. And, you know, I think Michael Bourne's a better fit for them, and I think Much. they want Michael Bourne. Uh, they, you know, they they drafted Michael Bourne. Uh, they had him in their minor leagues. They had him in the major league roster for a full year as a pinch runner defensive replacement. Um, and, and they wanted Michael Bourne, but obviously it couldn't work out. So, you know, the Boris Corporation usually gets their players their money, but it's hard to see where the major league fit is right now for Michael Bourne. I mean, Matt, where where I don't I can't off the top of my head. It's you know the center field uh, market has dried up. Where where does he land? Yeah, all the NL East teams address that, uh, except except for the Mets. But I don't imagine they're going to pony up for Bourne. Um, is it possible that Revere would play left field, as as he kind of did with the Twins, because they did trade that, Victorino and Pence this year? That is that is kind of the interesting gamut here. Is just that you could argue that much like the Nationals trade, where they you know where they traded away Meyer, that by bringing in Span, that there you could almost kind of lower the market, lower the cost for Adam LaRoche, because now you have leverage. Could that be somewhat the same thing with the the Phillies down Bourne? Is that if you did say Ben Revere is going to be your left fielder, you know potentially if we can get Bourne at a good price, maybe they aren't out of the Bourne, you know market because again there aren't a whole lot of other landing places that are apparent out there. You're talking about a conspiracy, JJ, is what you're doing there. Uh, <laughs> Where could Bourne even go on a one-year deal? Who, who needs the center fielder? Who wants to win this year? I, I, again, I can't think of – I mean, most of those logical landing places, like the Braves were a logical spot for him to return, but they filled that. They're not, yeah. not going there. The Giants were a you know, potential landing spot, and yeah. they signed Pagan back, so he's not going there. There's uh, a number of the teams where you said, okay, that would be a logical spot, are, are not there now. And, and, John, I did think you, know, you pointed out, I think, wisely, it's interesting to see two of the teams who we're used to seeing kind of – as two of the bigger money market, you know, bigger money teams out there, the Phillies and the Yankees have been extremely silent 
And really what it comes down to is is that if you are carrying there there reaches a limit for every team it seems like that you maybe the Dodgers won't at you know at some point but everyone else has a limit and if you're carrying so many massive contracts there comes a point where even if you have clear needs that you're you're you've you've kind of reached the limit where you're going to have to kind of uh troll the bargain bin yeah i i wonder i mean I'm just thinking out loud here. I mean, like, I, I, even just thinking while you guys were talking, I cannot think of any teams that would go multiple years on Michael Bourne right now with the way the market is and uh, and the way it appears that he's priced himself out. The only other team I can think of would be Seattle. Mm-hmm. I know they have Harris, but there's a team that does have a big outfield, um, that does have money that wants to be good, that wants to compete. And the one thing with free agency is, uh, you know, I, and I think the Mariners are picking in the top ten, are they not? So it's a, is it a protected pick for them in the draft, or do they lose a first-round pick? I will check that while you're uh, the – nope, it's not protected. They're the 11th. Oh. That that an issue for them, I suppose, uh, You know that, that uh, in the consideration of, of Michael Bourne. But if their other off-season plans don't work out – The Josh yeah. Hamilton gambit. Correct. Maybe you, maybe you, uh, you go for Michael Bourne, but – uh, to me, the Yankees are a team that he fits for if they decide they want to spend money. But it's very clear that they're not going to spend money. But well, I mean, that's a team that needs uh, could use an infusion of energy in a what was otherwise a lifeless offense in the postseason. Uh, something else occurs to me is this: perhaps the Rangers, if they lose Hamilton, then they could turn Leonis Martin into a trade chip. You know, and plus Bourne is from Texas. Yeah, I mean that's that was, a. I mean they're they're going to have money if they if they somehow lost out on both Hamilton and Greinke. They're going to have money burning a hole in their pocket. Yeah. It, again, it, it is one of those things. I, I think you're right. These things usually work out, especially if you uh, employ the Boris Corporation as your agent. Uh, <laughs> but but it is at this point fascinating to see where, where that's going to end up. Before we wrap this up, I, I do you know throw out there also. So, John, what did you think about this from the Philly standpoint? The- um, I do like I, I like the the possibilities of you know I did. Uh, Earlier in the week on Monday, Darren Ruff was at the uh, minor league uh, luncheon, awards luncheon, getting the Joe Trophy. Um, I talked to you know several Philadelphia media members, and I talked to, to Darren Ruff afterwards. And now I'm just picturing a Darren Ruff, Ben Revere platoon. Uh, <laughs> the uh, very fun little <laughs> that happened. Uh, you know, Ben Revere is little, and Darren Ruff. So, you say Ruff. I'm picturing that uh, that combo. You know what? That combo uh, that would be interesting. But the Phillies, you know, Michael Bourne. Prob- they're probably still Michael Bourne's best fit. JJ, I think you're right because they have Dominic Brown and uh, on one corner, whom they clearly don't trust. They're going to play, but they have to. They have John Mayberry Jr. I think they'd rather have a six foot six platoon in a corner of John Mayberry Jr. and, and Dominic Brown. Sweet. Have. Machine in Ben Revere, and if they had Michael Bourne, so if you had an outfield of Mayberry, Brown, Revere, Bourne, and Ruff, I could buy that. That that would make some sense, and uh, I think that they're gonna probably could play um, Darren Ruff a lot more first than they expect because uh, I doubt Ryan Howard staying healthy over the full course of the rest of this uh, mammoth contract, but. Yeah, I mean, if you're the Phillies, you kind of have to spend now. You've got those big league veteran pitchers. Uh, their time is winding down. Talk about a window like J.J. we talked about with the National the other day. The Phillies window is a lot. 
uh, that, that window's already shut. So uh, maybe that's what the Boris Corp is uh, banking on, and maybe this is, the like you said, the, the Phillies' way of kind of hedging their bets. You have an insurance center field there in, in Revere, but maybe you're trying to give yourself some left in negotiation. That's the only way that uh, – that's the way that it makes the most sense. But well, we we apologize. We know the connection for from the Opryland is is not the best. So uh, we apologize for our listeners. The, the audio quality may be a little bit lower than it would be if we're all sitting here in the same room recording this. But we we wanted to get John on this to uh, to get his opinions. So thanks again for the download here. We uh, we hope to have one more podcast for you this week, which three in a week that'd be a pretty cool uh, with a uh, special guest, our minor league player of the year, Will Myers. Hope to have that come together with John before he heads out of Nashville. And again, if you want to check out the rest of our minor league, I mean, of our Rule Five coverage, we've got the complete uh, draft pick by pick with a, a line of a kind of a, a short thumbnail synopsis on each player picked, both in the major league and the uh, minor league phase. I, I mean, we got a little crazy, and I think wrote, it's the first time for the minor league. I think it's the first time we've ever written up all the minor leaguers as far as why they were taken and all that. It's, it's, we're, we're, our level of insanity uh, grows every year a little bit, but we have hopefully uh, satiated our Rule Five fever for another year. We'll uh, we'll kind of move on to uh, many of our other fevers. I, I don't know what our next fever. I guess our next fever coming up is Prospect Handbook fever, mm-hmm. which we're finishing up uh, by Christmas to get in everyone's hands uh, by the uh, late January, early February. If you haven't ordered your Prospect Handbook. Christmas is coming up. Great gift idea uh, because where else are you going to read about 900 prospects? Scouting reports on the top 30 in every organization. The BA grades, which we added last year, where it kind of allows you to kind of easily compare guys from one organization to another. The depth charts where, you know, with 30 is not enough. We end up going a little bit deeper than that. So we write up the ranking of kind of how everyone sorts out for uh, usually about 60 to 70 players in every organization by position the tools, everything else. So it, it's definitely well, if you've never seen a prospect handbook, you know, check it out. It's, it's well worth the, uh, the purchase. We, we, we enjoy putting it together. It's a little tiring this time of year, but we, we are looking forward to, uh, to getting that into uh, all of our, all of our readers hands before too long from now. So thanks again, John, from there in Nashville, Matt from here uh, in Durham with me. I'm JJ Cooper. It's another edition of the baseball America podcast. Thanks for the download and so long everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.